This is The Adoption Wait, a podcast brought to you by Adopting.com. I am your host, Lacey Richter, author, business owner, and a mom of two through domestic infant adoption who has endured the adoption wait five times over. Hello, and thank you for joining the Adoption Wait podcast. Today's guest is Allison Olson. Allison is an adoptee and an adoptive mother, which led her to write and publish an award-winning children's book, Surrounded by Love. And we are going to talk all about Allison's book today. So hello, Allison, and welcome to the Adoption Wait podcast. Hello. Thanks for having me, Lacey. You're welcome. I am honored to have you. Up until now, all of our podcast guests have been adoptive mothers sharing their experiences about the adoption wait. And today I'm excited to get to listen and lean in and learn from the experience of someone who is both an adoptee and an adoptive parent. So Alice and I are going to talk about something we are asking the adoption community and also those outside of the adoption community to stop doing. And that is using the phrase, and I'm putting it in quotes, you are lucky when you speak to or about an adoptee. So Allison wrote her children's books with a mission to change the adoption narrative from the lucky child to the loved child. And we are going to talk all about that today. I think it's a very important topic Um, a topic that is talked a lot about inside of the adoption community. Um, But I'm really wanting to ask a lot of questions about how we can spread that message outside of the adoption community. So now I want to start where we always start here at the adoption wait. And I want to ask Allison, will you share with us about your adoption and about how you and your, your husband became parents? Sure. Um, I'll start with my adoption story first. I was born in 1979 and adopted in 1980. And obviously it was a very different world back then when it comes to adoption. Um, And so the main key words that would resonate today are that mine was a closed adoption. It was infant uh, domestic situation. Um, And so back then it was very different. So I've talked a lot about I've talked a lot with my parents about their experience. Um, And so you think about the weight now versus the weight back in uh, the 1970s and the weight back then, it was a standard of about five to seven years and they had five to seven years. That's correct. And they were very geographically um, focused, right? So my mom would tell me this story that they moved and they actually had to find a new agency, get Mm. back on a different five to seven uh, year wait. And just to be clear, they lived in a very small radius. So like they, they maybe moved like an hour and a half away. Okay. And they had to switch agencies. Um, And back then they had age restrictions on the parents. So think about the stress of a five to seven year wait and you might age out. So it's like the clock is ticking and you're nervous about this wait. And so I I want to give that that little piece of background so that that people had that kind of understanding the difference between, um, you know, between then and and now. 
And and then to add some positivity, uh, my case was uh, what we call now a baby born call. So I was a complete surprise to my parents. Surprise! Um, surprise! <laughs> There's a baby. They're like, oh my goodness. Um, but because my my brother, who is also adopted, they adopted him. He's a year and a half older than me, and so they okay. had put their name back, uh, you know, back on the list, and you know, they were told it would be years and years. And that, um, at the time it was like, you know, if you already have an adopted child, you're kind of lower on the list because they, you know, they want to fill the needs for more families. And, and anyway, so that's why I was just totally a surprise because it was about six months after their name was put on a list, they got the phone call. Wow. And, and so then they have a baby in a crib, one and yeah. a half year old baby in a crib. And they're going to the hospital. So they were uh, from the adoption agency after they, you know, they said, hey, come, we want to talk to you. We want you to meet someone is what they said. And then they went to the agency and that's when they got the news. So they call up my grandpa. You need to go to the store right now, buy a crib, (laughs) go set it up because their other crib was in use by the other child. So, so it was a very, you know, it's a very fun story about Mm -hmm. how, um, how I came, came to, came to my home. Um, and then my husband and I, our adoption story is a little bit different, um, because our oldest, uh, is, is biological. Okay. Um, and so, um, and that's kind of hard for people to understand, right? Cause they usually think, um, when you deal with infertility, it's just a blanket, you deal with infertility, but yeah. ours was secondary infertility. So there's, okay. you know, there's quite a few years between our children. Uh, we just had, we had a lot going on. <laughs> and so by the, by the time, I don't know, I don't know, we just had a lot going on. And so by the time we were making the decision of expanding our family, um, we, we tried and tried and we, um, had miscarriage after miscarriage. And, and I think it's important to mention it because, uh, people don't talk about them that yes. much. Yes. Um, and so I think it's important for people to know you're not alone. You, yes. you are not alone. Um, and so after, after three that were really, they were very difficult for mm. us. They were, uh, there were no, and I'm just going to give a little more detail here. There, there were no signs mm. that, um, that, uh, the baby was not progressing. Um, my body still felt very, very pregnant. And this is every, this is three times in a row. Yeah. Um, and so we found out, um, at one of the ultrasounds. So, you know, you go into an ultrasound, show you a picture of baby, the heartbeat, everything's great. Go into another ultrasound and no movement, no heartbeat. And so these were, they were still considered uh, miscarriages. They were in um, very, very late first trimester, early second trimester. Wow. All three of them. All three of them. So around the time you're making that announcement, right? So we hadn't made the announcement, obviously, thank goodness. Um, But anyway, so and honestly, after the last one, we're like, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. You know, mm-hmm. we just were like, this isn't like, mm. this is a sign. This is a purpose. This is a reason, you know? And so then we had serious discussions as, as most, um, you know, future adoptive parents do about how we want to expand our family. Mm-hmm. And the conversation just immediately went to adoption and um, we were given uh, a packet of IVF paperwork at the last, Mm -hmm. um, at the last uh, 
appointment, you know, wow. from a miscarriage, which is also like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, can we uh, have a minute, please? <laughs> yeah. Can we, can we grieve? Can we have a moment? But, uh, yeah. but we took it home and I got to tell you, like, I'm a big researcher. It just sat on the couch. It just wasn't for us, you know, mm-hmm. and, and every family is different, but me being adopted myself, my brother's adopted, my cousin has adopted. I mean, like you, you name mm-hmm. it. We have a lot of adoption in my family. Mm-hmm. And then my husband uh, was adopted by his father. Okay. So his, his mom was a um, pregnant single mother um, when she met his father and then they got married and he adopted him at around one. Um, so with adoption being such a, so familiar to us and such a big part of our lives, that mm-hmm. that was the route that, that we went down. Yeah. I love that story. And I, I'm thinking a lot about, as I always do when I do these podcasts, I'm thinking about my journey and my weight. And um, my husband and I tried, you know, naturally for about a year. And then we did a year of infertility treatments. And we kind of, uh, because we are very planned out people, we kind of gave ourselves a, a timeline. And I remember the next move was also IVF for us. And it's, it's, you I like that you bring that up. Like every family is different. Every choice is different. And we also decided to totally skip that because we had had experience with adoption. Like you guys, like when you have family members or you've seen friends go through the process and it just, um, it really sometimes help you move on to that next step um, and make that next decision. So, um, Allison, I love your story. I love how connected you guys are in the adoption world. And today I want to talk about this phrase, you know, that we keep telling our children or people out mostly outside of the adoption community that don't have experience with adoption. They keep telling our children over and over from like, I remember when my kids were babies all the way to now. And it's, it's the phrase you are lucky. And, you know, you're lucky your adoptive parents chose you and you're lucky you were adopted. And I mean, they don't say you're lucky that you have a family, but that kind of just comes next. Right. I mean, that's that's where their heads are going, depending on their age. So as an adoptee, will you explain to us more about how harmful and how hurtful this seemingly um Yep. not hurtful, but it narrative can be for our children and for other adult adoptees like yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be on here to be able to talk about this. Cause this is, this is my passion to change <laughs> uh, the adoption narrative from the lucky child to the love child. Um, I'll be honest when I grew up, this wasn't really a thing. Um, okay. I, I was not really exposed to this lucky narrative. It has happened over the years and interesting. There, there are some theories out there, um, that it really, uh, it really started to grow. This narrative started to grow with a lot of celebrity adoptions from other countries because uh. they felt like, oh, that celebrity is saving, that child. Right. And, um, and now it's just much more prevalent to the point where it is actually assumed that adoptive parents are, are saving this child, um, and saving of the child is part of that lucky narrative. So there, there are, you know, even other words that still are part of that. 
Um, and when people found out that um, my husband and I were planning to adopt, we would get those statements. So you have to think, you know, my whole life, I've heard strange statements as an adoptee, but yeah. then they were starting to change, you know, like I had people and this is during the wait. I had people saying, oh, thank you. Thank mm. you for adopting. You're doing such a good thing. And like, oh, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, no, no. And I, it was just so taken off guard because again, I'm used to certain phrases as an adoptee. I wasn't yet used to phrases as an adoptive mm-hmm. parent. Um, but we all know as, as, you know, either, you know, if either, if you're listening to this podcast, cause you're looking into adoption, or if you truly are in the wait process, waiting to become an adoptive parent, or you are an adoptive parent you already know who the lucky ones are in your mm. children's stories. It's so true. Them. It's us. It's That's right. Us. <laughs> and so what I like to explain to people is whether our daughter had stayed with her birth family, whether she ended up with us, whether she ended up with any of the hundreds of other prospective adoptive families that were waiting to adopt at the same time we were, she was always going to be loved. Allison, I have never heard anyone say it like that. And it makes me just take this like huge sigh of relief because it's so true. Like there's nothing special about me and my husband. I am a parent. I struggle as a parent. And it sort of puts this like extra um, weight and guilt on your shoulders that you're having to do it perfectly and that you can't even complain about the hard parts. So that is so true. Like my daughters, whether if they were with their birth families to this day, they would be loved because they are still loved today by their birth families. Exactly. And there are, as we know, hundreds and thousands of waiting adoptive parents and any one of them who would have parented these children They would have been loved. They would have been loved in a different way. They would have been in a different home, but still loved. And I'm so glad you shared that. That's exactly. And and that was, you know, when we were preparing for the birth and adoption of our daughter, we did what everyone else does, right? You go out, you buy the the latest of the baby equipment, right? And then as a future adoptive parent, you buy the highly recommended children's adoption books, right? How am I going to explain adoption uh, to my child? And so I go out and I buy all of them. I mean, I just had this huge stack and I kept looking through them and I was very surprised Mm -hmm. at what I read as an adoptee. So when I grew up there, I don't know how many books were on the market, but I had two. And so I feel like those probably were the two (laughs) that existed back then because it was not very common. Um, and my books were very factual, right? Mm-hmm. They were very, they were very factual. So there wasn't extra information that was kind of gleaned from it or taken from there. But I was, I was surprised, um, by some of the books that they actually had a lucky narrative in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll give one example, um, inside the book, you know, it said you needed a home and on the mm-hmm. other page, we had a home to give you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, sending the wrong message to the child that they, you know, needed, needed you, you saved them. And it, it, you know, mm-hmm. just, it perpetuates that, that lucky narrative. Mm-hmm. And then when I looked at other books, 
it's very rare that the birth family was illustrated. And if you think about their story, the birth mom's a pretty big character. In, oh, yeah. In, She's in number their, one. Yeah, in their story. And so I just felt like we've got to... It just was my realization as someone who never set out to be an author that I I had to write this book. I had to, I had to get a different book out there, not only for my daughter, but for other adoptees out there so that they could see again, as we talked about all of the love that surrounded them. So to follow the adoptive parents through their, you know, their wanting and wishing and waiting for a child and to follow the birth mom through the loving decision that she made and then to continue with that, but looking at all of it from the perspective of love. And then I also tried to even, um, even out the decision because a lot of the books were heavy weighted because they would be like written by adoptive parents or people even outside of the community. There, there are only a few actually written by um, birth moms. And so they were more heavily weighted towards the adoptive family's love. And then they would talk about the birth mom's struggle. Mm-hmm. And that didn't feel even to me because the adoptive parents had struggle as well. And right. so if we're not talking about their struggle, we're just talking about their love, but we're not talking about the birth mom's love. So I, I, I chose to have it just be the love sector and from both sides. Yeah. And so that, that was my focus. Yeah. The book, this book. really brings up something for me, that phrase where people say, you don't know what you don't know. And so these books were being written and read by adoptive parents, people outside of the adoption community. And it's like when finally an adoptee, an adult adoptee who's been through this experience gets her eyes on this narrative. um, How, how lucky are we that you can share with us like, and, and teach us like, this is what this feels like as an adoptee and we need to change this. And I think um, not just the lucky narrative, there are so many things in adoption that are this way. And I know in the recent years, um, the whole triad has really come together to lean in and listen and learn from each other um, and also make mistakes. Um, and so I'm so thankful for, for that and for everyone in the triad. Um, Definitely. Can I, Oh yeah, I was, I was just going to add the extra piece that, you know, you had at, you had asked me, you know, why is the lucky narrative so um, harmful Mm -hmm. to adoptees as, as they grow. And I just wanted to make sure that, um, you know, future adoptive parents or, you know, current adoptive parents that they understand that there's lifelong lasting negative impact Mm. to an adoptee um, to grow up feeling as though they should feel grateful for their own existence or survival. Um, and this can, it can result in a range of different things that nobody wants for their children, right. Um, to grow up people pleasing. So never even, um, considering their own emotions or needs, yeah. uh, people pleasing can, can lead to bad situations, being in abusive relationships, et cetera, not, feeling as though their needs are important enough to bring up because they need to feel grateful to really it spans out to all individuals outside of just parents, low self-esteem or even worse, um, low self-worth. And so again, me creating this, but I just wanted a different foundation. I wanted, you know, um, non-adoptees grow up and they get the, where did you come from books and they're all positive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they, And so I just wanted that same, um, that same experience for an adoptee. Yeah. Um, 
I love that. Uh, this this is probably not by coincidence at all, but last night, uh, my seven-year-old says, mom, tomorrow is bring a family picture to school day. And so I dug through and I found a picture and I gave it to her and I see her looking at it, you know, in first grade, just, just think about, think about first graders, you know, and she, first thing she says is dad, do you have a, a mohawk in this picture? And so we look at it and we're like, oh yeah, that's when dad kind of went through that, that long hair phase. And he's like, okay, I could see she was like, not real sure about bringing this picture. And then she said, you know, my classmates are going to say, why are your parents skin color different? And are you adopted? And um, so we kind of started talking about that. And um, my husband said, well, do you want to practice what you're going to say when your classmates say, you know, the things we know they're going to say, which is, are, you know, are you adopted? And the next thing that we always hear, especially first graders say, where is your real mom? And so we talked her through that and gave her some responses and some practice of how she can respond. And I know the more we can help her talk through it, the more she'll get more comfortable sharing her story in her way um, along the way. Because first grade, that's a really tough year to start describing that. And then I brought out your book. I just had it right there. I I was like, listen, I'm interviewing the author of this book tomorrow. And she started reading through it. And she loved that birth mom showed up in this book. You know, she, um, she loved seeing that. And then I'm going to tell you the, her favorite part of the book, you guys can't see, you might get is when the adoptive parents get really excited because they found out about baby and they start dancing. And um, I'm not going to give away the book. You guys have to go get it, but um, they're not the best dancers. And so the little owl was laughing and embarrassed and she just thought that was so funny. I love how you brought a little <laughs> bit of humor into the book. Um, we're got, we got to talk more about the book, but I have, I have something else I want to ask you. And, you know, we're talking about this lucky narrative and it's, we're noticing that it's being shared a lot by um, and used a lot by people outside of the adoption community. And, you know, I think as our jobs as adoptive parents, waiting adoptive parents, we've got to educate and inform those outside of the community what's okay and what's not okay because they don't know. So what are your thoughts on how do we inform our family, our friends, our coworkers, our children's yep. teachers? How do we go about asking them and informing them what is positive adoption language, including eliminating that lucky narrative? Definitely. Um, education is key. I think the level of effort that you put into the education depends on how well you know the person, how much they're going to be interacting with your child. Also, let's be honest, how willing you believe they are to learn something new and actually change. Yes. Right. So don't exhaust yourself with someone that, you know, is in their 80s, 90s, and it's not going to matter. Like anytime you keep, please stop saying this, you know, you just might have to change something else um, in that situation, but, you know, kind of keep that in mind. Right. So um, the further distance they are from the family, the, the less they need 
your individual education unless they're seeking it and they come Mm -hmm. to you and, and ask for that help. But I would say to focus on family and friends people that are going to be surrounding the child the most um, and explain your actual adoption process, right? The process. So, you know, I, I know some, some folks that are listening in, you know, they're just waiting. And so then it's, you know, it's the, there's a lot of time to have those conversations because people are like, how's it going? And have you heard anything yet? And so, so it is good opportunity at that point to start those conversations. If you haven't already, Um, I think the biggest thing is to talk to close family and friends about how to talk about the birth family, Um, either in front of the children or when they're not present, like all conversations about birth families should, should be the same Uh, that, you know, they, they are not your spouse, your spouse, and you can talk about things that, you know, uh, that come up, but, um, you know, aunt Sally does not need to know about those things. And so I think it's important for them to know the birth family is integral to this child's life. It is such a big part of this child's life, no matter if there is a relationship or if there's not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so either way, the way that you speak about their birth family is interpreted by an adoptee about how you feel and speak about them. Yes. So so it's just uh, making sure that they understand that. And so I would th- that's where I would focus my efforts on education around. You know, mm-hmm. you can always send you know, there's always like the latest meme of like, here's the current positive adoption language. You can always send that out, do little, you know, post reminders on social media, if your family and friends see. Uh, But I think the biggest thing with, with family is making sure they understand birth family is an extension of this child and of your family, you know, and that it's important that they're, they're viewed as such. I agree. And I also, Allison, I think it's, it's important to point out that we're going to speak respectfully and lovingly about our child's birth family, even when they can't understand what we're saying and, and talk. It's just like um, we were taught by our agency to talk about adoption um, with our children when they were little bitty newborn babies. So that as they're growing up, we're continuing to practice that narrative and um, getting comfortable you know, talking about it. And now, you know, we have daily conversations about adoption around our dinner table. It is rare that we're not talking about a birth family member or adoption um, around our dinner table. And I think that probably doesn't happen for um, a lot of other families. So how can we get our children's friends, parents to talk about adoption at their dinner table? Because sometimes I run into children who don't even know what adoption is. And like, I understand that. I know mm-hmm. that um, we're all parenting and we're running the soccer and we're running to the grocery store. And sometimes there's just not an opportunity to talk about all the things. But if you have a child and, and that child has someone in their class who they know has been adopted, that's a good opportunity to bring up and talk about and teach them about adoption. So do you have anything else you can add to that about how to get our children's parent, children's friends, parents to talk about adoption? 
Yes. Um, so I would definitely say through conversation, I think that that's, that's the, the best way to engage them. Um, let them ask you the questions that maybe they wouldn't ask, um, hopefully would not ask in front of uh, your child. I mean, I think the mm-hmm. biggest thing is that as an adoption community, so, you know, we call it the adoption triad. Within the adoption tread, we have made progress over the last several decades, right? The vast majority of adoptions in the United States are open adoptions. Mm-hmm. Um, we have positive adoption language. You know, we we understand and and love all of the aspects of the different people in the triad, you know, all of that. But I will say outside of our community, mm. um, I will go so far as to say it is like the 1950s, the <laughs> things that people say to me. Yeah. Um, and it is shocking. Uh, it is sometimes appalling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that it's Im- important for us to understand that, that if you think about it, they're not reading the books. They're not listening to the podcasts. They're not listening to adoptee voices. And when you start to realize that it makes sense, right? So other groups, and I use the comparison of like um, the the trans community, Mm -hmm. they have done amazing work, right? We now know to ask people, what are your preferred pronouns? And people even put them in the signature of their work email. Like that is great progress. I would say as an adoption community, we need to work towards that. Mm -hmm. We need to um, collectively come together because your child will be on their own in a situation where a teacher, a coach, a friend, a friend's parents will say something again, always well-meaning people are always well-meaning, but that does not mean it's not hurtful or harmful. So it's important to build up self-esteem, right? With your child as they grow, have them understand and feel confident about their adoption. And then if you can, like you were talking about with your daughter, come up with some canned answers, you know, they're going to get asked about their real mom. So the answer, the answer that I always say is, oh, we're all real. Everyone in this situation's <laughs> real. She's got two families, two moms. We're we're all very real. Yeah. Um, and so so you come up with those those canned answers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know one that we had talked about last last time we met was uh, the lucky narrative where they're like, Oh, you must, you know, the grocery store, right? Like, oh, you must be you must be so lucky that you have them as your parents. And I, I just stop and I'm like, oh no, no, she's not the lucky one. We, we are the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I squash it because it's important for them to know that it's, it's not uh, the right thing to say, but again, without, without being rude. But mm-hmm. the one thing I want to say to adoptive parents is it's tough, right? Like you're listening to all of these podcasts, you're reading all of this stuff. You're trying to be the best parent you can be. And I'm here to say, do not hold yourself to perfection standards. If you are at the grocery store, it's a crazy day. Nobody said something weird about adoption to you in several months. You're just trying to check out and get to where you get to baseball practice or wherever you're going. Right. Uh, and you can't think of what to say because someone says, and you're like, uh, whatever. Okay. Uh, thank you. Good, good day. And walk away. The thing is, when you get in the car, you can tell your child, wow, wasn't that weird? Wow, Mm. they don't know about adoption, do they? 
Right. And then if you're like me, I'm terrible with comebacks. That's why, that's why I come up with these things in advance. So if you think about it a day later, two days later, like, oh, I should have said this. Mm-hmm. That's another great opportunity to have that conversation with your child and say, you know, yeah. remember that awkward time when we were at the grocery store and they said such and such, I wish I had said this back. And they'd be like, yeah, that'd be a good, you know, or whatever. And then, you know what, adoptive parent, you had two conversations about adoption, like good for you. So lower your expectations for yourself. We cannot be perfect parents. If you waited to have the perfect adoption conversation, you will never have it. And so I just wanted to give some peace (laughs) to adoptive parents um, that, you know, that the more you talk about, the more it becomes ingrained and normalized within your family, uh, the the better off it will be. But the one thing I did want to say is, yes, Lacey, you are correct. There is very little educational material out there for what we would call non-adoptees. They mm-hmm. don't even know they're a non-adoptee. Yeah, um, <laughs> they don't even know that term. <laughs> they don't even know. Um, and so I have actually written another book. It comes out in October this year, um, still working out the title. So I, so I won't say the title yet, but maybe I can come back on and we can talk more about yes. it. Um, but it is again, you know, to go with my mission of changing this narrative from the lucky child to the love child, you know, it's one thing to educate the adoptee, but you're not going to change a narrative if you don't educate everyone. And yeah. so this truly is a story for non-adoptees and mm-hmm. it's a little um, non-adoptee boy who is at the dinner table and he's so excited to tell his family about something he learned that day about a really good friend of his and she's adopted and he walks through their conversation. And it literally is a question and answer where he asks the questions that little mm-hmm. kids ask. And then there's the answer. And my hope too, with this book is to take that weight, just some weight and pressure off of the adoptee to answer fewer questions of at least one or two children um, yeah. if they have read this book. And then it can help with diversity because Parents all around, adoptive parents um, or non-adoptive parents, they are trying to educate their their children about different ways to build a family, different ways to live. And so um, my hope is that that book can can do that and to help advance changing this narrative. Yeah, I love that. Um, Yeah. So let me talk about your book. I have it right here. I highly recommend it for the bookshelf that waiting adoptive parents are building. I know you're building that bookshelf. I built, I built the bookshelf, get this book surrounded by love. And I can't wait for your book in October. Um, You know, when I was watching my daughter read through it last night, uh, my husband asked her a question. He was like, um, does it make you, I think he said something like, does it make you feel more comfortable and confident seeing yourself, you know, herself represented in this book and also seeing her birth mother represented in this book. And and another thing I'm thinking of right after she put it down, um, her friend from next door walked through the door and she said, Hey, look at this book. This is I'm adopted and this book's about adoption. It has a story about my birth mother in here. And my heart just went, oh my gosh, Allison would love this right now. I have to tell her this story. Um, Tell us about the character in your book who I love so much. Oh yeah, so Wanda the Owl. 
Yes, uh, Wanda. Yes, she is. Uh, she is the narrator of the story, and I intentionally wanted it to be um, written in first person because I didn't want the story of love to feel like, oh, there's a different child. This this other child mm-hmm. is very loved, but I am not. Um, and yes. so that's why, you know, Wanda, she flies, she's a wise old owl and she flies all around and she was able to watch. She was able to watch these adopt, you know, future adoptive parents longing and yearning and wishing for this child. And then she was able to watch this birth mom loving and touching her belly, loving this baby that has not been born yet and making this big decision. And then watching Mm -hmm. as this baby is born and both families are happy to see the baby and watch as they continue to have this relationship and communication as the child um, continues Mm -hmm. to grow. And so that's, you know, that, that was my passion behind it and why, why I chose uh, for Wanda to be the narrator. The one thing I was going to say that I kind of teed up last time we met, but I didn't, I didn't say it. So my illustrator, there goes Wanda, Wanda. (laughs) off the shelf. Um, uh, My illustrator, uh, her brother is adopted. That's why she is able to capture so much of the complex emotions from the different individuals um, in in the book. And so uh, one of the things that she did is if you look at all of the main characters, they all have a main color throughout the book, right? So the birth mom has Mm -hmm. pink, adoptive mom has yellow, um, and then the adoptive father has blue. And then you notice as the child grows up, she wears a piece of each of those colors to Mm. show the impact that all of these individuals has on the adoptee. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love it. I love how you can see the little tears in both birth mom and adoptive parents eyes almost every page because yeah, I feel like I almost always have tears in my eyes. No, yeah. no matter if they're from parenting struggles or allergies. <laughs> it's always there. Um, Allison, this conversation is so great. Um, I love I can't wait for your new book to come out. Because what I was thinking about also where the non-adoptee is asking those questions, how great for adoptees to have the book to know and expect the questions and then be like, oh, well, he said this, the person in the book said this, I can use that for my answer. And then I just had this amazing idea that you could, um, for the younger grades, if you know your child is going into kindergarten, first grade, second grade, what a great idea to get. I know you have a Wanda plush owl mm-hmm. and the book and maybe stick it in their backpack to give to the teacher or share with the teacher so that they have um, just some extra information for when that child is ready to share a little bit with her classmates about her story. So anyway, that's a, that's a great idea I love that. for parents <laughs> and for you, for your marketing. <laughs> I love um, that. So with every episode, right before we wrap up, we kind of bring it back to that adoption weight. Mm-hmm. We're always talking about the weight. Um, will you share a few tips with us that you have for waiting adoptive families on things, practical tips that they can do to turn their weight into an expectant and hopeful time? Definitely. Um, so I will say, you know, as as an adoptee and adoptive adoptive parent, one thing that I did was um, I had a journal that I changed from a journal um, to letters to my future child. 
Um, and in fact, because I created this, I actually ended up building one. So, so I have one available on Amazon. It's called uh, Love Letters to My Child. And, oh, and you just, you can fill it out. Um, and the whole point is that, you know, the weight is very, very difficult. And when you're in it, every day feels like a year. So no, no listeners that I understand you, you know, um, yeah. and that, you know, any amount of weight is like times five is how it feels when you're in yeah. there. Um, but what is tough to understand is that future adoptee, um, with what they hear from other folks, with just what has happened, uh, they will feel loss and abandonment. And so if you think about how amazing that would feel to get a journal that your parents were writing as they waited for you. And so on there, I, you know, it's like, dear, wonderful child, I cannot wait to have you in our family. Today was a very rough day. I walked by the empty nursery again and just cried. I cannot wait to have you in my family. And so these things, I think that, you know, as we're going through the weight and the struggle, we're thinking about that it's tough and that's tough on us. And it's also tough when you don't have enough community, right. To, um, to yeah. help and understand about adoption, but channel it into something that will benefit your child in the future. Because can you imagine yeah. a teenager that's having struggles that can pick back up this journal and know that for a year or however long, multiple years, or three years, three years <laughs> That yeah. your parents wanted you and that you were loved. I mean, so it's therapeutic for you and it is future therapeutic for, for your child. So that would be my suggestion. Yeah. And um, the big time that I was really like writing in it like crazy was when we got the phone call. So I was writing yeah. everything that was happening, like, oh my gosh, like we, we just got the phone call and we're racing, you know, we just, we were racing out the door. I did it like after we got to the airport, you know, we raced out the door, we're at yeah. the airport now. We can't wait. We're, you know, getting on the plane. We hope to see you soon. Yeah. And then, you know, and it was all these different things. And as I would talk to her birth family, I would also write in there. So I would draw out her family tree so that I wouldn't forget a name. I wouldn't forget what yeah. their, what their title was to my child and all yeah. of that. And it's just this very, very special journal that, that she could have for the rest of her life. Yeah. I love that for so many reasons. The first reason is that I'm a huge journaler <laughs> and I'm thinking I journaled through the entire weight for both my girls. Um, but I didn't focus on journaling and sharing things that they want to know. Mm -hmm. And I can attest as a mom of a seven and a nine-year-old, they want to know details. Correct. And if I could have written down birth mom's favorite color and her favorite thing to eat. Yep. And um, we went, you know, I used to go out to lunch with um, my oldest daughter's birth mom. We'd go to doctor's appointments and then we'd go to lunch. And I know we spent so much time talking. If I could have had yep. the details of those conversations, let me tell you a seven and nine-year-old and on in every age, they would love to have those details. So I think that is, um, a great tip, a great practical tip. And as waiting adoptive parents, I feel like we want something to do. Yeah. We're just tired of sitting and waiting and that's something they can actually do. Um, 
Allison, I'm so thankful for you for taking the time out to encourage those who are maybe still waiting to adopt or they're already adoptive parents or family members of those who are waiting to adopt. And um, also just thank you for sharing that message with others that we need to stop telling our children they are lucky and telling them the message that every kid, you know, adopted, yeah. biological, every kid wants to hear every day. I know my seven-year-old, she wants to hear it every day yeah. that they are loved. So before we go, tell us where we can find your book, what new projects you have working on and where we can find you online. Great. Uh, the book is Surrounded by Love, an open adoption story. It's available right now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, and you can find me. So I have a website, ouradoptionbooks.com. Uh, that's where you can okay. sign up on the email list to find out about upcoming books and upcoming uh, speaking events. Um, and then I am on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok under Kids Books uh, by Allison Olson. Perfect. I'm going to put all that in the show notes so everyone knows where to find you. Um, and of course, when we do podcasts with authors, I'm an author myself. I love talking to authors. We're going to do a giveaway of your book um, right after your podcast episode comes out. So thank you again, Allison. This was a great conversation. Thank you, Lacey.